And please turn with me in God's Word to the book of Proverbs, chapter 9. If you're using the Pew Bible, you should find that on page 677, most of the Pew Bibles. And if you're visiting with us this morning, we're glad to have you here today. We've been considering a series through the book of Proverbs, and we've come to Proverbs chapter 9 in our series, Proverbs chapter 9. So we're going to read the whole chapter together, and this will be the subject of our consideration this morning. So Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 18, and let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars, she has slaughtered her beasts, she has mixed her wine, she has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. And walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. And the knowledge multiplied. And years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Um, Well, With this passage, we come to the close of an introductory section of the book of Proverbs. Uh, This all has been foundational to what we generally think of when we think of the book of Proverbs. A lot of those statements of Proverbs collected together uh, that are so so often found in the rest of the book. Before we have all of those statements, before the end of that introduction with this final chapter setting before us clearly the invitation of wisdom and the invitation of folly and the consequences of listening to one call or the other. Uh, To follow one is to follow life, to follow the other is to follow death. And the appeal that wisdom has made over and over again is that we would choose life, Uh, that we would choose the way that leads to life and find it by wisdom. Uh, This is a matter of life and death. It has been all the way through the book. The father pleading with his son to remember the instruction of his father and mother and to walk in that way. Wisdom's direct appeal Um, as we have here, to those who have sense to come into fellowship with her. Um, And not surprisingly, this introductory section ends with this clear statement of choice uh, between life and death, between these two tables. 
Uh, there's a banquet that wisdom has prepared and a banquet that folly has prepared. Um, and the, the obvious message of the passage is you want to be at the banquet of life, uh, not at the banquet of death. And so this passage lays out very, very clearly and very straightforwardly to plead with God's people to follow the path that leads to life. And so as we consider what this passage sets before us, uh, this tale of two tables, as we'll call it, um, it sets before us first the banquet of life. Uh, That's clearly what Lady Wisdom offers. She offers the banquet of life. And then we have a middle section which uh, has stressed is going to be exclusive, right? That the VIPs are the only ones who are going to be invited to this meal, um, that the, you know, the rest of us are the kinds of people who are up against the glass looking in at a meal like this, trying to see what, what they're doing, right? We might, we might seem like that's the kind of meal that's here, but look, the, actually the invitation goes out to everyone. This is not an invitation just for VIPs. Who is, who is particularly invited? After Lady Wisdom builds the house and sets up the feast, who does she send her maidens to call? Well, who's called into the feast? She sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, please. Only qualification come is that you be... Actually, it's the call goes out to. The people who really need it. The people who really need to come in to wisdom's house. The people who are simple the people who lack sense, as we've seen again and again in Proverbs, those are people who lack literally heart. Um, The people who need wisdom the most, come and you will be changed if you come. An invitation where the only qualification to come is your own deficiency. That is how God has called his people time and time again in his word. We see that call in Isaiah 55, 1 through 3 in the Old Testament. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. What does God say? The only thing that's required for you to come is your own deficiency. You don't have any money and you're hungry and you're thirsty. Well, come. And you will find that you will be satisfied. You'll find that you will be changed. If you will respond to the call and incline your ear and come. Leave your useless ways and come. That's always been the call. That was the call in the Old Testament. That was the call made clearly in the New Testament by our Lord Jesus Christ. Telling us why God has always spoken in those terms. Are you hungry? Come and eat. Are you thirsty? Come and drink. If you can't afford it, that's fine. I'll provide it to you. What was that preparing God's people to hear? 
It was preparing God's people to hear what Jesus said about himself in John 6. What did Jesus say in John 6, verse 35? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And verse 55, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And the only requirement to come is your own deficiency. Are you hungry? I will give you bread that will make you live forever. Are you thirsty? I will give you true drink to life eternal. Um, Are you dead in your sin and trespass? Are you spiritually hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Then Jesus says, I have what will satisfy you. I have come to meet your need. To be what you need and to leave you transformed. Because the one who comes to him will never hunger again. Will never thirst again. We will be changed by the Lord Jesus Christ because he is true food and true drink to life eternal. That's what God's call has always been to his people. Leave your useless ways. Leave the ways you're wandering on that lead to death and come and take and eat and drink. Be changed and live. Go forth a new creature on the way that leads to life. Um, I liked what one commentator said. God's invitation has always been capable of expression in these terms. Only the gospel reveals the full cost and substance of it. It's free to us because God bears the cost. It's free to us because the host bears the cost of the feast. Because we understand that the bread we're coming to is broken bread that was broken on the cross. And the cup we're coming to, that wine that is well mixed and is nourishment for our souls, has been poured out for us as his blood on the cross. It's free for us, but it wasn't bought without a cost. But he does that so that he might satisfy our souls, so that he might meet our needs which is for someone to be broken in our place. For that blood to be poured out for us that we might live. That's part of what it costs for us to live. And the glory is that our Lord came into the world knowing what it would cost. And still said, I'm willing to provide you that food and that drink. Free to you. And I will bear all the cost. Because that's what you need to live. So we could leave our old ways and really walk in newness of life as new creatures in Him. That's the banquet of life that God offers us. That's the banquet of life that wisdom offers us. Um, And then we have this middle section that's kind of battling for guests. Um, This kind of interlude between the two obvious Banquets, and people have wondered what might we do with these verses. 
And I think what these verses are reminding us of in a very simple way um, is that there's a danger of waiting too long to respond to the call. Um, what is the picture that's immediately presented to us in, this, in these sort of interlude verses, in verses 7 and 8, that kind of run through 7 to 12? Who are we introduced to here? We're introduced to the scoffer. In the book of Proverbs, the scoffer is the worst kind of fool. It's the scoffer who thinks he knows everything. And so anybody who comes with any kind of criticism, any kind of correction, it's the scoffer who laughs them off. I know better than that. I know better than what you're talking about. I don't need to come to your feast. I already know what you're going to say. I already know what the sales pitch is. I've heard it. I don't need it. That's for weak people. There are people who need that kind of crutch in life. Need to be told by wisdom what to do. Need all that correction. I don't need that. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. The scoffer is the worst kind of person because of that. They're sure they know. Um, And that's why wisdom says, whoever corrects the scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. This is the kind of person who's become immune to wisdom. If you try to say, hey, you know what? Your life is a little off course. You're met with insults. You're met with abuse. You're met with injury. If you try to correct them, they will hate you for it. And what the book of Proverbs is reminding us of is, once again, you don't turn, out, you don't turn into this kind of person overnight. It's not like the simple person who walks by wisdom's invitation and hears the invitation and decides, you know what, I'm not going to come, immediately becomes the worst kind of person in the world. It's not something that happens instantaneously. You have to work to get to this level. And it happens by small degrees. We saw that earlier with the wicked who become so corrupt that they're monstrosities in the early chapters of Proverbs. And we ask the question, how do you become like that? By a small series of wickedness. By doing small evil things until you find you're doing bigger evil things. Until you are a horror to behold. It happens by degrees. And that's what wisdom is warning about. If you won't listen, if you won't come, if you won't take correction, if you go from being that simple person who's on a knife's edge between wisdom and folly, and you decide to go down that road of folly, you'll end up so hardened in your sin that you're beyond help. You notice how scoffing is synonymous with wickedness. Right? Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse and he reproves a wicked man incurs injury. There's no difference between the wicked and the fool here. The hardened fool who's beyond correction. Um, It's someone who's not to be followed. And why? Because the requirement to be wise is to let wisdom shape you. One of the requirements for wisdom is to listen to wisdom. And sometimes what wisdom has to say to us is, you're acting like a fool. Stop it. You're getting off track. Get back on the right track. 
Um, that's why reading the book of Proverbs can be convicting. Ought to be convicting. Because it reveals to us at times how we've acted foolishly. And to become wise, is to, is, it's required that you be humble enough to listen to that correction. That you be humble enough to hear when wisdom says you're acting foolishly and to be teachable enough to be grateful for someone to do that for you. Right? That's the, what the great difference between the wise person and the scoffer is that when you try to correct a scoffer, they hate you. But what happens when you try to correct a wise person? Right? Reprove a wise man, the second part of verse 8 says, and what? He will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. What is, what is a hallmark of wisdom? Is the humility and teachability to know that you've not yet arrived. What is the cardinal sin of the scoffer? I've arrived. I know all this. I don't need to listen to this. It's garbage. I figured it out myself. What does the wise person know? I've not arrived. I still need to learn. I still need help. I think that's probably a mark of education generally, that the more you learn, the more you realize how much you don't know. Um, the more you realize how much there still is to be learned in the world. And that's what the wise person knows. That I can be a fool sometimes, and I need correction. And when someone comes to me with wise correction, it's a mercy. It's a help. It's something to be loved. Um, That can be hard for us, right? to recognize our own limitations, to recognize that sometimes we need to be spoken to in this way. That's why we should try to cultivate this kind of attitude, recognizing that when someone does that for us, we become wiser. When someone does that for us, we learn more. When someone does that for us, we become more righteous. Right? Just as there's an equivalency made between the, the scoffer and the wicked, notice that there's an equivalence made between the wise man and the righteous. Give instruction to a wise man, verse 9, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. Um, this is the battle that's going on in wisdom's invitation and in folly's invitation. The battle to avoid becoming the hardened scoffer who can't be taught anything. And the desire to make people wise so that they will know to increase in learning, to listen to wisdom when it's offered, and to become wiser still, to become more righteous. Um, It's the recognition, as one person put it, that the further one goes with folly or wisdom, the less or more one will put up with the criticism which is wisdom's teaching method. Then they quoted our Lord's words from Matthew 13, 12. For the one who, or to who loves those who come with godly and righteous instruction. And why can they be like that? What enables them to be teachable like that is that they know the fear of the Lord. 
But that's the real key in verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The wise know it's better to be wise and righteous, to grow. They love those who correct them. Why? Because it brings them closer to God. It's not just wisdom for the world that God offers us. It's His wisdom. It's His words. To be hardened against His wisdom is to be hardened against Him. To say, I don't need that. I know it all. Is to say, I don't need God meddling with my life. That's the scoffer's real sin. That's his real wickedness. Um, The righteous know the Lord disciplines those he loves. It's better in the way I want to walk with him and to know the Holy One. 4.13, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. The last chapter, 8.35, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. The wise and the righteous know what the foolish and the wicked do not. They understand the reward of wisdom. They understand the blessing of righteousness with their God. And at the end of the day, wisdom reminds us that the choice we make will affect us and us alone. Um, We're often reminded in Scripture that our our sins have an effect not only on us, but on those around us. But sometimes that Scripture reminds us, you know, your sin, your failure, you will bear it alone. There's a consequence that's coming to you if you fail to get this right. And that's the stark reminder of verse 12. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will will bear it. One person said this is perhaps the strongest expression of individualism in the Bible. Such statements are meant to emphasize that the ultimate gainer or loser is the man himself. Your character is the one thing you cannot borrow, lend, or escape, for it is you. And of course what we're reminded is more than your character that's on on the line here. It's wisdom, and righteousness or folly and wickedness. It's life and wisdom or it's death apart from it. If you're wise, you're wise for yourself. If you're wicked, if you scoff, you alone will bear it. And that's the sobering reminder that comes with this banquet of death that's presented to us. Once we've seen the banquet of life, we don't need to say that much about the banquet of death. Um, We don't need to say that much about it because it's been made clear to us already how lackluster this banquet is in comparison with the other. Um, But it's a stark reminder of where you can end up if you don't listen to the right voice. Um, Folly is presented here as everything that Lady Wisdom is not. Um, She is noisy, she is mindless, and she knows nothing. Uh, The word translated seductive really can just mean simple. I think there's a note in the ESV. She's full of simpleness. She's just like the people she's calling to. She's just as mindless as the people she shouts out to. Um, The whole sort of picture is Lady Wisdom is a lady. She's classy. Her whole operation is classy. Um, 
the, the implication here is everything that the, the woman Folly does is slovenly in comparison. She's a loud mouth, she's noisy, she's mindless, and she doesn't know anything. Um, someone said her ignorance is more than just intellectual in- inadequacy. She infects all who listen to her with her own folly. And Lady Wisdom does everything, right? Lady Wisdom builds, she cooks, she prepares, she sends out messengers. What does Lady Folly do in verse 14? She sits. She just slouches in her chair. Um, She sets it up like it's some kind of throne, like she's some kind of important person. But she really just yells at the people who pass by. You know, Lady Wisdom sends out sort of engraved imita- invitations to people. You know, it's a, it's a sort of, and Lady Folly is kind of presented to us. She's going, hey, hey, sitting there as people walk by. Hey. And she sounds like she's saying smart things. She sounds like she's saying the same thing. In fact, the lady, their, their appeals begin exactly the same. There's almost no distinction between them. On verses 4 and verses 16, read almost exactly the same. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, they both begin that way. But folly then proceeds to state something that sounds like a parable. Sounds like a, sounds like a proverb. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Oh, that sounds pretty, wait a minute, that's not true. It sounds smart, but it's actually not true. In fact, there's a proverb that says, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. She sounds like she knows what she's talking about, but she doesn't. And she plays up as if she's got something great to offer, but with all the dressing up of it, what is she really offering them? Bread and water. It's just ordinary bread. It's ordinary water. She's trying to dress it up as if it's some kind of delicacy by being stolen and sweet, but it's really just normal food. It's nothing of the wonderful fare that Lady Wisdom offered. And no matter how she presents it, you know what's really in there. No matter how good it looks, you know what it really is. There's nothing in there but death. He does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is what we've been told time and time again about this woman. No matter how she presents what she presents, it's always the same ending. Um, The shades of the dead are there. The ghosts of the dead are there. It's the same thing we saw in Proverbs 2.18. Her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed the ghosts of the dead. Same Sheol that we heard about from Proverbs 5.5, her feet go down to death and her steps follow the path to Sheol. Same thing we heard in Proverbs 7.27, her house is the way to Sheol and going down to the chambers of death. This is the invitation that someone put it to a feast toasting death by a brassy whore who neither knows that the wages of her sin is death nor does she care whether her victims die. She's to be avoided at all costs. These are the voices that exist in the world. All of them can come under these two households, these two tables, 
these two banquets. And it's so obvious which is the better. It's so obvious that wisdom is to be listened to. That's the house you want to go into. The great, the great hall with its pillars and its rich food and the promise of being changed and leaving something better than you are. That's the great promise held out by wisdom. It means to whet our spiritual appetites for everything else that comes in the book. Say, if you really want to feast on what this book has to offer, you've now come into the hall, let's turn the page and see what the, what the rich food is. It's meant to whet our appetite to be made wise, to change who we are and to become something different, to live lives that are righteous and wise and pleasing to God, to let wisdom shape us. Because through all of it, what we're seeing in the wisdom is the call of God to be like Christ. And if all of this doesn't whet our appetite for that, then the, then the call to be like Christ should whet our appetites because he is the wisdom of God. And he is the one who continues to say to us, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. May we hear that call and leave our useless ways and be changed by our Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the clarity with which the Spirit shows us the paths of life and death. We also thank you for the clarity of seeing the horror of becoming so hardened in folly and wickedness that we can't be talked to. We pray that you would deliver us out of that, that you would keep us from being hardened in that way, that we might always be those who love correction and who are willing to hear your word and to become wiser through it and to become more righteous through it. Help us to choose the path that leads to life, to come and to, to take and to eat of that true food and drink, which is our Lord Jesus Christ be fed by him to life eternal and help us to see a picture of that presented to us in the Lord's Supper. And hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.